Well, that's the new series, The Word, Finding Light for Your Path. We're going to get started with Mark chapter 1. Would you open your Bibles uh, or pull it up on your phones or however you do it, or you can look at the screens. I, I'd encourage you if, you, if you don't have a Bible, if you, if you want a Bible, I'll, uh, I'll get you one, all right? If you don't have one, uh, come see me. I'll get you a Bible. We'll, we'll give you one here or, or, um, or I'll get you one. Love to have you bring that and mark it up during the, during the time. Uh, Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8. Hear God's word this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way to the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've had some football drama this past week, and I'm not talking about the, what's coming up for, uh, for a Monday night. Um, maybe a few of you might be interested in what's going on on Monday night. I'm talking about the Buffalo Bills story, the DeMar uh, Hamlin story. It's taken a really happy turn. He's recovering. Uh, he's the player who had a close brush with death on national TV. Uh, he was hit at just the right millisecond when his heart was uh, beating at a particular moment, and, uh, and he had a blow that, uh, that caused him to go into cardiac arrest. And uh, people were riveted, and those who didn't watch it went to watch it on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, other, you know, some admit it, you did. And, 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 others, and others just simply responded. They went to his social media page, and uh, his, his charity just blew up. I mean, the charity that he had posted, it had a few hundred dollars there, and it's got millions and millions of dollars that people donated. People wanted to do something, right? We want to do something. We need something to do when things go wrong and when we feel bad. People move from being spectators to getting in the game. All of a sudden, people got in the game. How about here at church? Today, nearly a third of our nation will attend a worship service like this. There's an important role to play just showing up, an important role there. But too many of us think of ourselves as spectators. 
during the rest of the week, are you in the game? Are you in the game? Do you approach the rest of your roles in your life with a sense of call and purpose? Call and purpose. Sunday is not the last day of the week. Did you know that? Do you think of it as the last day of the week? It's the first day of the week. It's the beginning of a new week. And that's a symbol. It's always been a symbol for the Christian church that a new day is coming and that we're called into it with purpose. In other words, Sunday is not the end of a week and consolation for heaven that's coming, a reminder that heaven is coming. It's, it's a reminder that you're called into God's purpose this side of heaven. That's what Sunday's about. Sunday is the beginning of the week. Are you called into your week every Sunday? You say, well, call is such a mysterious word. How am I supposed to understand my call? Well, here's how we're going to approach that question this morning. How do you understand your call? When we look at Mark chapter 1, this opening passage, we're going to see that we're called to look around the world, see what God is doing, and get involved. That's it. That's where we're going. Look around the world. See what God is doing and get involved. First of all, look around the world. Lift up your eyes to see with greater expectations. That's what preparation is all about. In the, in this, the beginning of this passage, it says, it says uh, that, that there was one who went before his face, before the face of Jesus. That's an idiom. That's, a, that's an expression. You know, th- these old languages are so concrete. It's really amazing. It went before his face. It's an image of saying somebody's going to prepare the way and raise people's expectations. John's role, John the Baptist's role, was to raise expectations that the promises of God were about to be fulfilled, that Jesus is coming, that the Messiah is on the way. Jesus often sends people ahead. Have you noticed that? Throughout the whole book of Mark, you're going to see Jesus sending people ahead. Just take a good word. Raise people's expectations. John prepares the way by raising people's expectations about what Jesus is about to do for three years. Three years, just three short years, 2,000 years ago. Changed the world. He raised people's expectations about what was coming. Even before John's birth, we can see that God would use John to raise people's expectations. John's father, Zechariah. You remember what happened with John's father, Zechariah? He was visited by an angel who told him, big things are coming. You're going to have a son. Did Zechariah believe him? He didn't. He did not. And so he was struck mute, <laughs> right? That's, it's so colorful. I love this. It's like, all right, you don't believe me? You're going to have trouble talking for a little while, all right, until your expectations begin to rise because big things are coming. What are your expectations about God in your daily life, about seeing him at work, about participating in what he's doing, about knowing that he is at work today. What are your expectations that God is in your day, in your week? Many years ago, when I was a youth pastor in Texas, we used to take a lot of trips down to the border, and um, we would build houses. They weren't very big, and it was really a shed, but they had windows and they had a locking door, and uh, we'd take groups down there. 
And there was a guy named Maury Buchanan who led this organization who helped churches come and, and build these houses for people who were uh, trying to get across the border but found themselves really just stuck in a tent or in a box um, on a trash pile. And so um, he helped secure land. He helped get materials there. We came and, and provided cheap labor. And uh, it, was, it was really rewarding. It was, it was uh, pretty amazing. And there was always something special in the day. And at the end of the day, we would get together. Everybody would get together. And sometimes at multiple churches, we'd have hundred, hundreds of kids. And Maury would get up and he'd say, all right, it's time for God sightings. Now, this seems a little corny, but, I mean, you can see the setting. It's sort of a camp setting. You think it's sort of a retreat. But I want you to think about that for a minute. God sightings. Kids, leaders, adult leaders would stand up. And they would answer the question, how did you see God at work in your day today? How did you see him? What was he doing? He was going before the face of Jesus and raising expectations. He was preparing the way for our people to come together and celebrate the fact that God is in our midst and he is at work. We'd listen to people and we would become much more aware that God is sovereign, that his providential hand is at work in our days. People would bear witness to that. They'd say something about a group of children who were pulling on their arms to join a soccer game and that even though they couldn't even speak to each other, there was a sense of, of connection through that game that they came together. And there was, it, it was, there was such joy there. Uh, there so somebody else would stand up and say, talk, talk about the tears of a woman who was going to receive this house who for the first time in her life would have a, have a door that locked at night. And this is what the interpreter uh, told us about, told, told her about the, um, the, the reason why she was crying. This would be the first time she would have a door that locked at night. Think about that. Somebody else talked about the kindness of a stranger who donated all of the materials for the building that we were building. God sightings. This is a simple ex- exercise that raised our expectations. The way John raised people's expectations. He went before the face of the Lord. And raise people's expectations. That, that uh, as it says in, in uh, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Aslan is on the move. That God is at work doing something, making all things new. That you can look, look, look into our broken world and yet see that God is present. When you have higher expectations, that he's at work. What if you ask that question at the end of your Monday tomorrow? Not just, you know, for Georgia to do well, all right? But what if you ask that question, how is God at work? Where did I see him at work in my day, throughout my day? Wouldn't it begin to raise your expectations? And wouldn't you begin to look with different eyes, fresh eyes? So that's the first step of looking around the world, seeing what God is doing and getting involved. You just have to lift up your eyes with expectations. Then perhaps you'll be able to see what God is doing, to discern how God is present and at work, to be able to, let me say that again, that word again, discern, to be able to be discerning 
to be able to recognize what God is doing in our time. How does he enter your daily experience? Well, how has he done so in the past? How has he entered into human experience in the past? Verse 2 says, as it is written, right? The beginning of this gospel of Mark immediately goes, that's an important word in Mark, immediately, immediately, but it immediately goes to Isaiah, to the prophecy, as it is written. See, to see what God is doing in the world, we, we need to understand what he has always done, how he's always done. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. To be able to understand what God is doing, we need to be able to understand what he has done, how he has approached human nature in the past, as it is written. What we see in the pages of the New Testament are consistent with the Old Testament. We need to read both of them, to read both of them. You see, you cannot hear God's still, small voice in the noise of our world if you don't know what his voice sounds like in Scripture. Did you hear that? To see what God is doing in the world today, we must understand how he worked in the past in his word. This series is about the word. It's about reading it to learn the voice of your good shepherd. To see what God is doing out there, we need to understand what he's always done in here. This past week, we had a memorial service for one of our beloved saints, somebody in his 80s. What I love is when I, uh, as tough as those weeks are and as difficult as it is with the family, I love it when they bring me the person's Bible and I get to look through it and I get to see what he marked up or she marked up what did what did he underline what did he what did she highlight you see what did she highlight what did he highlight what were the things that stood out to him what were the little notes that in this past week there were little notes in the margins sometimes dates by those sometimes sometimes comments on on series that we have 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 gone through here uh, sometimes sometimes uh important, pivotal moments that are marked in that scripture. At the end of your life, if your family picked up your Bible and looked through it, what would they see? What would stand out to them that stood out to you? What would your scriptures, your Bible, say about your life of faith? What will people learn about your life by reading your Bible after you're gone? We need to know God's voice in here to be able to hear our voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd today. You see, we need to hear his voice because we need to see his purposes in all these different things. The anxiety that you feel, the concerns you have, whether it's about Uh, something going on at work, in a relationship, or in the country, or in the world. We need to know that God is at work. We need to be able to be discerning about what he's doing and calling us to do in the midst of it. What is he doing? To hear the voice of the good shepherd today, we need to know the voice of the good shepherd in the scriptures. Otherwise, we may be importing some bias into what we're seeing here. We may be reading it through our own particular kind of lens. 
We need to have the Bible interpret us and interpret out of us some of those things that slant our view of the world. That's, that's part of what reading Scripture does for us. As it is written, is your life lining up as it is written? Is your life, is, is your life saturated with as it is written? Is, is your, are your ears tuned to the voice of your good shepherd? Or are they tuned to something else, something temporal, something that you're investing in that really has become an idol because your security is placed in something that's going to be passing away? <laughs> the flower falls, Right? The grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Do you know the voice of your good shepherd today? Well, you can learn that voice, and we need to learn that voice because we need to be encouraged in the midst of our difficult moments. You know, I think most people burn out not because they work too hard, but because they've lost their sense of why they're working, why they're working so hard. You know, maybe you started off with a sense of great gusto and purpose and said, I'm going to go for it, right? And there was a sense of clarity and and you knew why you were doing what you're doing. And it was really rooted in a sense of call and purpose. But somewhere along the way, you, you may have lost that sense of what God is doing in our world and how you're a part of it. That's a sure sign that you're headed to burnout. We need to be able to distinguish the voice of our good shepherd from our own voice, our own little egotistical voice, from the voice of the fashion of the day or the spirit of the age. My sheep know my voice, Jesus says in John. It is written, the book of Mark says again and again, it is written, Jesus says over and over again, you cannot discern the voice of your good shepherd today if you don't know the voice of the good shepherd in the scriptures. So, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do you know what he's doing today? By understanding what he has always done. Knowing his word is the key to discerning what he's doing today. So we, we want you to read through the Bible. Uh, every year, I, I, it, it should be a challenge. Now, some of you all are discouraged because you've tried this before and you got to Leviticus and went splat, right? I mean, I understand that. I understand. And if you got through Leviticus, you had to read all the numbers, right? I mean, all of those, those lit, that litany and lists of, of generations upon generations. And you're just going, am I supposed to read all this stuff, right? And it's like, you know, and then you kind of skipped a day and then you didn't know if you're supposed to make up that day. I mean, look, we're going to cut through all of that. And we're going to give you a plan that will help you love reading through the Bible. And if nothing else, just to listen to it. Listen to uh, Nikki Gumbel, give a little uh, devotional, and then, and then listen to the scriptures. And you can multitask a little bit. I mean, stretch or something, make your coffee, sit down, enjoy it. Listen, listening to it. However you can do it, we want to make it so that you can do it. And if you don't read through the whole Bible in one year, what if you were to start out and you read through it in two years? That in two years' time, you would have read through the Bible, whereas otherwise you wouldn't have, right? So there, it's guilt-free. It's like if it takes you five years, keep, keep, keep on doing it. Or if you just read it in a pattern daily, we want you to be in the Bible daily. So next week, we're going to give you everything you need to get energized about this. You need a plan. You need a pen, 
you need a place. Some of you will read it a little at a time. Some of you are going to read the whole Bible. But from now through the end of the month, we're going to encourage you to pick a plan and to stick with it. You can become far more discerning about God's guidance today when you become far more familiar with what he's already said. To see what God is doing, we must learn what he's always done. Learn the voice of your good shepherd. So, look around the world. See what God is doing by understanding what he's always done. Understanding what he's always done. And get involved. Get involved. Now, this is the the closing part of this here. Get involved. We're called to be involved. We're called. Every one of us is called. According to your gifts, head, heart, and hands. You know, sometimes I'll pray, Lord, bless this word, not only to our minds that we may understand it, but to our hearts that we may receive it, that through our lives we may live it. Head, heart, and hands, we're called. Not just to form opinions, (laughs) not just to get more information, but to be formed by that information. Not just to take an intellectual position, but to take positive action, to get involved, to be active. Not to be a spectator. To follow the voice of your good shepherd, we must learn to internalize what he has already said and act on it according to our gifts and our call. You've heard me say it before, that we're all educated above our level of obedience, right? We know more than we do. We know more than we apply. We know more than we've marinated in or internalized. We're educated above our level of obedience, right? But... John, verse 4, John appeared. Don't overlook the obvious in the scriptures. John appeared. He didn't have to. Nobody forced him. He's not a puppet. John was a guy. (laughs) He was Jesus' cousin. He appeared. He was responsive. As Tyler said in the beginning, it's a second word. He responded what God had called him to do. He showed up. Let's not take the obvious for granted. He was called. He had a choice. He showed up. Somebody said 90% of life is just showing up. Have you heard that? 90% of life is just showing up. Where do you need to show up this year where you've been absent? Think of your key roles, not adding and piling on guilt or anything. To, just where do you need to show up where you haven't been showing up? To the commitments you've already made. Showing up for your morning quiet time. Showing up to dinner, to the game to the phone call that you need to make to that person with whom you have a disagreement. Showing up to the person on the margins or under stress who's in your day already. Showing up to the mission trip you always said you'd go on. Showing up more regularly to worship, not just for yourself, but to encourage your church family. Church attendance has fallen during the pandemic. And we're full this morning and And I know that encourages everyone. What if you showed up and there were three people here? Well, you'd still get the same sermon. It wouldn't have as much energy, I can tell you that. Church attendance has fallen during the pandemic overall, though. And we need to pay attention to that as a local church. We need to understand what's going on in the country. Here's what Tom Rainer, an expert in church leadership, observes. Quote, most pastors know the individuals in their congregation who are missing. Oh, I agree with that. I know where you sit. I was looking for the Bixlers. I know they're going to be at the second service. I knew, I knew where they were. I knew where they were supposed to be. Well, 
they drifted that way. Is that what you're saying? Somebody's pointing over here. Where are you guys? Oh, you couldn't find a seat over here in your normal space, so you went over there. Yeah, see, I didn't know you were here because you weren't sitting over there. Let me continue with the quote. Each week they look out from the pulpit and they see the empty spot where someone used to sit regularly. Pre-pandemic, most church members attended at least twice a month. Did you hear that? Pre-pandemic, most people attended at least twice a month. Now, in 2019, pastors were wringing their hands saying, people are only coming twice a month, right? Today, regular church attendance is being tracked in terms of once a month. Once a month? I have 25 minutes a week to talk to you. Or maybe I have 25 minutes a month to give you input. That's not enough. And I'm not talking about hearing more of me. I'm talking about you hearing more of this. You see, I do want to teach. I do want to cast vision. I do want to motivate. I want you to be encouraged. But I believe that formation involves head, heart, and hands You and I, we all need to be looking for how we can be involved in what God is already doing. So to be formed, we need to dwell and reflect more. Not just agree and move on. Not just to say, I want want my biases confirmed and affirmed on Sunday. But I want to be challenged in what I'm thinking. I want to be sharpened in the way that I'm responding to the world. I want to... Have bigger love, the bigger love of Christ in the way that I'm being formed. We need time not just to gain more information, in other words, but to be formed. To consider what God would have us do with it and what we need to become in order to do it. FPC is doing exceptionally well. Our church is doing exceptionally well. In many ways, I feel like as a church, we are just starting to hit our stride. But if we want the church, this church, to be a place where you, your children, your students, and all your efforts make a real difference in the lives of the people all around us, then we need to be aware of the trends and fight against the slide. We can't just show up looking for affirmation about what we already believe. We need to learn to apply to our own lives and to the lives of other people these two words, follow me, Jesus said. Follow me. John appeared. We need to get in the game. How is God calling you when you're tempted? How is God calling you where you are stuck? How is God calling you to see the need around you and to be equal to that need? Following the voice of the good shepherd when questions like these come up requires more than 25 minutes a week or a month of input. A sermon is not a firecracker to be set off for the noise it makes. It's a hunter's gun. And at every moment, the hunter looks to see his game fall. In other words, the word needs to convict us through the spirit of God speaking and resonating in your life. I am being called in a particular direction. What is that? How can I know more about it? Each week I ask why we should or how we can. That's how I approach every sermon, one of those two ways. Why should you? Here's why you should do this one thing, and here are the reasons why. Or here's how you can do this one thing, and here are the ways and the steps to get there. The call is not to agree or disagree with the preacher, but to help you hunger for the word, 
to internalize it, to apply it. See, we're all educated above our level of obedience. It takes more than understanding and the nodding of the head in agreement to be formed in more Christ-like ways. It takes heart that surrenders more to God's will. It takes hands ready to be responsive to the needs around us. I understand raising your expectations can set you up and set me up for disappointment. I understand that. It's a lot easier just to be a spectator. It's easier just to agree or disagree. When we try to apply what we learn, we expect things to change, we can be disappointed. We can fail. But here's the thing. The word is a way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The way. The word is a way. It's a way forward. It's a way of being. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of, it's a way of forming in Christ-likeness. And so we're called to fail forward. We're going to fail and fail and fail again. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. That's what I tell my kids. If, oh, congratulations. No failures? Well, you're not trying hard enough. You're, you're playing it safe. Let's not play it safe. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven, but we're called this side of heaven. And it's worth a struggle, and struggle is a big part of it. Let me close with this quotation by Teddy Roosevelt when it comes to struggling forward, to internalize the word, to be responsive to the word, to plug into what God is already doing. He says this, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, in the game, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error or shortcoming. But who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at least knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never knew victory nor defeat. Look around the world. See what God is doing. Get involved. Let's pray. Father, bless us now as we think, internalize, and pray that we would be responsive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.